Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and we are in week two of Creed, a series on theology. Today, we are blessed to have a guest speaker, Steve Wallen, from our Buford campus, speaking on the topic of sanctification. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. Yeah, what's up, C12? How we doing? Woo! Hey, what's up? Uh, Okay, so my name is Steve, and I'm super uh, excited to be here because... The last time I was here, um, it was exactly one year ago. Exactly one year ago. And the reason I remember it is because the sermon was so good that um, I shut down the church. It was, it was incredible. No, for real, last time I was here, it was the Thursday before everything shut down. Uh, just out of curiosity, were any of you there? I know some of you were because I remember. Guys, we made history together. Can you believe, okay, like for real, because there was like, um, there was like four months or five months where this was the last gathering of anyone at 12 Stone. Did you guys know that? Okay, well, anyways, I thought that was like some pretty cool stuff, and so I'm excited to be back here, and uh, I think we're going to make history tonight, too. What do you think? We're not going to shut it down, though. Don't worry. We're not going to do that, but, um, but it's going to be good. Uh, hey, well, tonight's going to be tonight's going to be a lot of fun. We are in the middle of a series called Creed, and Heather kicked us off last week um, talking about Creed. By the way, contrary to popular opinion, uh, Creed is not based on the 2003 band. For any of you that are any any Creed fans in the room, seriously, no, you're lying to me right now. You actually like Creed? I mean, it's fine. We're not judging you hard right now. It's fine. Do you want me to sing some Creed for you? What's your favorite Creed song? I don't know. It's been a minute. Does anyone else have a favorite Creed song? Does anyone who's, yeah. Okay, I know higher. I don't know what kind of this play. Can you take, you guys know that one? Me, okay, anyways. Okay, now you got it. You know, with the little guitar solo. Okay, this series is not about Creed, uh, that terrible band. No offense, uh, but they are a really terrible band. Um, so it's not about Creed, thank goodness. Um, does anyone know what this series is about? What Creed is about? Creed is about truth, right? Heather said this last week. Heather said that like C12 is in the middle of like a rebuilding phase, and we want to rebuild on the foundation of truth. And creed, like creeds are just statements of truth that people cling to when they need it. In fact, this is, this is really interesting. Like um, just, ju- just a little bit after Jesus rose from the dead, the apostles came up with a creed. And then later there was a Nicene creed. And these creeds were things that the followers of Jesus actually held on to. Because when life got crazy, they needed truth to be their anchor. And so that's exactly what creed is about. Creed is about the truths that we hold on to, the things we want to hold on to when life gets crazy. Because you need an anchor when the waves go crazy. And right now in 2021, like the waves have gone crazy. And so we need truth to anchor us. So that's what, that's what Creed's about. Um, so last week, uh, last week Heather talked about salvation. And this week we're going to talk about sanctification. Okay. Um, just out of curiosity, does anyone... Uh, does anyone not know what sanctification is? And it's okay, by the way, if, okay, everyone knows. Um, so, well, listen, here's the good news. If you don't know what sanctification is, or you do know what sanctification is, this is going to be like we're all going to start from ground zero, okay? So regardless of what you think the definition is, I'm going to give you a brand new definition, and I promise you this, you've never heard the defin- uh, definition I'm going to give tonight, okay? So it's brand new. It's brand new. So to do that, to give you that definition of sanctification, I have to do one thing first. Uh, I need to introduce you to my to my family. Okay, I got a picture of my family right here. This is um, this is us right here. That beautiful woman right there is Catherine. Everyone say, "Aw, yeah, Catherine's amazing." Catherine and I have been married for uh, 13 years. She is uh, she. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that. 13 years is a big deal. Uh, we've been married for 13 years. We have two. Incredible kiddos. Uh, Judah is my oldest. He's five years old. Anchor is, is our youngest. He's two. And um, some of you have met my kids before. Some of you have seen them kind of running around. Some of you have even met Catherine, which is pretty awesome. Well, let me tell you just a tiny bit about, about um, Judah and about Anchor. J- uh, Judah is, like, full of joy. He's like, he's, like, joy personified. 
like for real, when he, uh, he played baseball this last year, and the problem was he, uh, he didn't run to the bases, he skipped to them. Because he was just so happy, and I even sat him down, I was like, buddy, I know you're like so excited to be there, but I need you to run, because we run in baseball, we don't skip. Literally every week it was, we run, we don't skip, we run, we don't skip, and he was still like skipping his way, because he's so excited. Sometimes he'll talk to you, for real, he'll talk, and he gets so like amped up about life, that he just jumps. Like he's jumping while he's talking to you. So that's my son Judah. Anchor, on the other hand, uh, Anchor is my tough guy. Okay, Anchor is my like, like Judah can, is kind of like his dad in that he's a people pleaser a little bit. Anchor, he really doesn't care what you think. Okay, so like no matter what you think of him, he is just off on his own. He's doing his own thing. He's my tough guy. Okay, so let me show you another picture of Judah. This is, uh, this is my joy kid. Uh, just he can't, like he's too excited all the time. He can't even smile. He's so excited. Uh, so that's Judah. Does anyone know where we're at, by the way? Can anyone tell? Krispy Kreme. You recognize that hot light, don't you? Yeah. You saw what? Wow, your eyesight is really good. She saw steak and shake in the background. I thought the hot light would give it away. Um, okay, so let me tell you about this picture real quick. So this picture was taken, um, like we had this little father-son like bonding thing, and I was like, man, I haven't had a fresh hot Krispy Kreme donut in a minute. And my son has never had one. What if we went to Krispy Kreme when the hot light's on and we got a fresh Krispy Kreme donut? Y'all, I forgot. Like, I'll admit to you, right, I forgot how good it was. Have you, have you ever had a hot, fresh, sign-is-on Krispy Kreme donut? It, y'all, Heather talked about salvation last week. I'm telling you. These hot Krispy Kreme, I don't understand how good they are. It's like cotton candy in that, like, it just starts melting, and you just feel good about life. Like, everything is great when you have a hot Krispy Kreme donut. So, anyways, my son and I get there, and I go, hey, I'm here with my son. I'd like two hot, fresh Krispy Kreme donuts. I see the conveyor belt happening, so I'm like, I want two of those. And we get two, and I only ordered two like an idiot. Like, why would you only do two? Anyways, we did ten, and my son and I ate two donuts in three seconds. And I said son, I'm sorry, we have to get more. So we went back up to the counter, and I was like, could I have two more of those, please? And we got two more, also like an idiot. Because then we went up a third time. I said, I literally need two more. I'm so sorry. And then I gave him the card again. I said, you might just want to keep the card, because we're going to keep getting up. We ate, my five-year-old and I ate six Krispy Kreme donuts in like two minutes. It was incredible. Okay, so anyway, so that's my, so that's my joy kid. That's, that's Judah. Let me show you my tough guy, Anchor. Um... <laughs> this, for real, this was taken at preschool, okay, by his preschool teacher, and I'm like, I'm sorry, like, that's my kid, he is, like, watch out, he, like, I'm honestly scared to play, like, dodgeball with him, do you see, look at the grip he has on that thing, he will take you out, okay, so, so anyways, that's, that's Anchor, uh, let me show you one more picture of my family, um, this is us at Christmas time, and uh, we have matching PJs, because that's what people do now, I guess. Anyways, we got the matching Christmas PJs. That's my family. Um, and uh, here's, here, here's why I tell you this. Because, um, you know, you might be wondering, what does all this have to do with sanctification? And, like, what does sanctification have to do with salvation? I'll tell you. Um, it's, like, uh, it's like being adopted. Okay? Salvation... Actually, salvation is like when the adoption papers are signed. Okay, just for fun, I brought this. This is not, these are not actual adoption papers, but that is my actual signature, by the way. So, anyways, um, pretend that these are like the adoption papers. Salvation is when the adoption papers are signed. In other words, I know that you used to live somewhere else. I know you used to have a different identity. Now the adoption papers have been signed. Congratulations. You are part of a brand new family. And by the way, I don't know if you know this about, about adoption, but adoption is very, very expensive, right? It's like thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars. Um, I got a friend actually who is, he's from Colombia, and he is adopting a little girl from Colombia, and an international adoption is like literally tens of thousands of dollars. And for years, 
okay? Not months, not on a whim. For years he has been saving up. They've been doing the paperwork because he is so desperate to adopt someone from his home country of Colombia. His heart beats for Colombia, so he desperately wants to adopt this little girl from Colombia. So years later, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars, uh, dollars later, he, has, he is getting the adoption papers ready to adopt this little girl from Colombia. He is willing to pay the price because of how much he loves this little girl. And listen, listen, when you say yes to Jesus, and two of you did this last week, maybe for you it was like a few months ago or a few years ago, but when you said yes to Jesus, it was like the adoption papers were signed. And listen, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done before. It doesn't matter what your identity was before. Congratulations, you're part of a new family. Your adoption papers have been signed, and they've been signed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has rescued you and adopted you into his family. That's what salvation is. And listen, here's, here's the deal. Um, it costs a lot to adopt someone, and it costs the Son of God a lot. In fact, it costs his very life. And listen, side note, okay, um, if you've ever doubted that you have value, or if you've ever doubted that, like, you have worth, you know the value of something by the price someone is willing to pay for it, right? You know the value of something by the price someone is willing to pay for it. This is my wedding ring. If you melted down the gold, it would probably be, I don't know, 400 bucks. But if you stole it from me and held it for ransom, I would pay far more than $400 for it. Do you know why? Because that's my wedding ring. And all the scars on it are from 13 years of marriage. And that is mine. And I want it. And I value it. So I'm willing to pay a higher price because of how much I value it. Do you want to know how much God values you? The value of the life of the Son of God. That's how much God values you. That's how much it costs him to adopt you. That's when the adoption papers were signed, when you said yes to Jesus. You got adopted into his family. Okay, so that's salvation. Now, um, what happens when the adoption papers are signed? In other words, what happens next after the adoption papers are signed? What happens? That's a question you guys can answer. <laughs> you go home with them, right? So imagine for a second. Tell me your name. Justin. Justin, let's pretend you were living on the street, okay? This is your home. I'm going to do this because you have to sleep in it. You know what I mean? This was, this was your home. You were on the street, Justin. You were living in a cardboard box. And let's say I came up to you and, um, and I said, hey, Justin, I know this is crazy, I see where you're living. I see, dude, I know it's like, you know, well, it's been cold. It's actually getting warmer, so, but anyways. But it's like, I see you're living on the street. I'd like to adopt you into my family, and here's the good news. I've already drawn up all the paperwork, and I'm going to pay the price for it, okay? So I want you to actually live with me, and I'm going to adopt you full rights and responsibilities as a son, full rights and responsibilities as a Walton. So let's go to the courthouse, and let's go ahead and get this done. So you and I, we, you know, skip on over to the courthouse. I got all the papers. I sign everything. I give him my card. I give him cash. I give him all the money. Congratulations. You've been adopted. And then imagine how silly it would be if Justin said, thank you. Thank you for adopting me. Okay, I'm going to go back here. And then he went back to his cardboard box. That'd be silly, right? Like, why, why, why would he do that? Because the next step when the adoption papers are signed is like, dude, we're going to go home. You're a Walton now. In fact, if, um, if I did adopt Justin, what I'd probably do is like we'd get in the car and we'd drive home and i go, hey, let me tell you a little bit about what it means to be a Walton. And, and I'd kind of lay out the rights and responsibilities of like, here's what it means to be a Walton. And I might say something like this. I might say, Justin, uh, when you're a Walton, uh, here's, here's what it means. It means that every Friday night is pizza and a movie night because that's what we do with the Walton household. And, um, and actually, we used to do frozen pizza. Justin, I want you to know we have stepped up our pizza game, okay? Because now, for real, now I got the, um, I got the pizza stone, and it's, it's a, and it's a 17-inch pizza stone, too, which is like, it's a big deal. Anyways, I put it in the oven, set the oven for like 535 or so, and then actually we go to Publix and we get the dough, and I like flip the dough in the air like I'm a pizza machine, you know what I mean? It's pretty awesome. Anyways, I flip it. I've only dropped it like two or three times, and it's fine. It cooks out in the oven. Anyways, so like I actually make the dough, and then I do the sauce, and then I do cheese. I'll tell you what I put on my pizza. I put um, a little bit of garlic. Uh, I put uh, turkey pepperoni, which I know is weird, but I'm trying to like, you know, watch my, um, watch my blood 
pressure. Anyways, I do turkey pepperoni, and then I do, um, I do artichoke hearts. What? Anyways, you're not a Walton. He is. Okay, so anyways, so I do artichoke hearts, and I do sun-dried tomatoes. We got the most bougie pizza ever in the Walton house. But my boys don't like it, though. They're, they're kind of like you. And so I just do, like, uh, I just do cheese or just do pepperoni. And uh, anyways, and, and we make multiple pizzas because I lo- we, love pi- we love pizza. So I'd probably make, because you're a pretty big dude. So I'm going to make three pizzas from now on. We normally make two. I'm going to make three. You get your own. So anyways, we're going to do that because uh, that's what it means to be a Walton. Hey, the other thing, which this is exciting, Justin, the o- and I'm picking on you. I love you, bro. So Thanks for being part of this so, because I just adapted you to my family. So the other part of being a Walton is that uh, once a year we do a Walton family vacation. And I got good news, Justin. Guess where we're going? Guess. D- today, yes, this year we're going to Disney. That's for real. I know. And, uh, and uh, here's the deal. We're going to do the matching shirts thing. I got one that says Daddy on it. So I'm going to get one that says Justin, you know. And, like, you know, you're going to get that. And uh, I'll pay for your ticket. Don't worry. I got you. We're going to stay in the little Cars suite. Do you like the movie Cars? Okay, done. So, anyways, we're going to stay in the Cars suite. It's going to be awesome because this is what it means to be a Walton. You get to be a part of our family vacation. Here's the other thing it means to be a Walton. You already saw the picture. We love Christmas. Waltons love Christmas. So guess what? Christmas PJs, brother. You're, you're, you're getting some Christmas PJs. It's going to be so good. We're going to have Christmas PJs uh, because, because we just love Christmas. Here's the other thing um, uh, uh, is uh, what it means to be a Walton is I tell my kids every single day I love them. So every day you're going to hear it from me multiple times a day. In fact, every night when I put my two kids to bed, I tell them three things, the same three things every single night. I say I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm so glad you're my son. So I'm going to say the same thing to you. I'm going to say Every night. I won't tuck you into bed, though. You're a little older, so I'll let you, like, go to bed. But, like, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say, hey, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so glad you're my son. You're going to hear that from me every night. And you're actually going to hear I love you from your mom, too, because, oh, my gosh, she's, she's, she's going to love you. And from your brothers, because your brothers are just so full of joy. They're going to tell you that. But here's the deal. Uh, because you're a Walton now, we say this to one another multiple times a day. I don't know what kind of family you guys grew up in, but in our family, we say I love you to one another often. Okay? So that's just, again, it's part of what it means to be a Walton. Last thing I'll tell you, um, and, then, and then we'll move on, is uh, what it means to be a Walton is we clean up our messes, okay? Because everyone makes a mess. Everyone makes a mess. And I'm not going to blame you for making a mess, because guess what? I've made plenty of messes in my life. But what it means to be a Walton is we clean up our messes. So no matter how big or small, when you make a mess, that's fine. I'm not going to blame you for that. But you just got to clean up the mess. That's what we do as Waltons. So once I sign the adoption papers and Justin comes to live with me, he gets all the right. Okay, I thought I spilled that for a second. He gets all the rights and responsibilities of what it means to be a Walton. Now listen, it would be crazy of Justin to be adopted and to not live in his new house. And it's just as crazy for Christians to be adopted into the family of God and not live into their new life. Why, why would you not go live into your new, you have a brand new life with Jesus. And yet so often we go back to the cardboard box that we used to live in before Jesus. Why would we do that? You have a new life. You have a brand new life. Not only do you have a new life, you have a new dad. Did you know this? The God of the universe. The God that made the stars that you see in the sky. The God that made all the galaxies we can't even see with our, with our telescopes. The God that made every pebble, every stream, every tree. Invites you to call him dad. I know we say father a lot, but listen, we need to get real. God Almighty wants you to call him dad. And listen, your dad in heaven is not angry at you. Your dad in heaven is not absent. Some of you grew up in a house where you never saw your dad because he was too busy for you. That's not your dad in heaven. Some of you grew up with an abusive dad. That's not your dad in heaven. Your dad in heaven is not abusive. He's not an alcoholic. He is not an addict. Your dad in heaven is so much better than your dad here on earth. He loves you. In fact, listen, 
God is not the reflection of your dad. He is the perfection of your dad. He's everything you've wanted your dad to be. Every time your dad didn't show up and you wish he did, your father in heaven was there for you. Every time your dad on earth got angry with you unnecessarily, your dad in heaven was proud of you. Every time your dad on earth was too busy for you, your dad in heaven was paying attention. You have a dad, a new dad, who loves you. That's what it means to be adopted. Not only do you have a new dad, it's kind of like you have a new mom, too. You know how, like, um, you know how your mom is the one that, like, when you were younger, like, bugged you all the time about cleaning your room? Like, hey, have you cleaned your room? Hey, did you clean your room? Why didn't you clean your room yet? We have company coming over. We're going to vacuum. Did you vacuum? Why didn't you vacuum? Right? She's kind of like, eh, you know, kind of like nagging you, right? Um, and, but at the same time, your mom was also the person that when you skinned your knee as a little boy um, or, you know, maybe when someone made you cry as a little girl, she was the one that you ran to. She was the one that, like, comforted you. She was the one that helped you. Some of you ladies, when you were in high school and he broke up with you, your mom had that big old, like, tub of ice cream and said, let's just talk. That's kind of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, hey, you need to clean it up. But also the Holy Spirit is the one to comfort you, to help you. So you have a new dad. You have the Holy Spirit, and, and, and you also have a new brother. You have a new older brother. Did you know that? Your older brother is Jesus because you're adopted into a new family. This is what Paul says in Romans 8, 29. Uh, Romans 8, 29 says, For God knew his people. So if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn. Firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The brothers and sisters he's talking about is us. And he says Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus is like the older brother. And then what happens? It says he chose them to become like his son. So you and I are being like our older brother, Jesus. That's what it means to be a part of that, that new family. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you have like an older sibling, an older brother or older sister? How many of you are the older brother or sister? Okay, so here's the deal. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the youngest of three, so I have two older brothers, David and Michael. David is seven years older than me. Michael is uh, four years older than me. And I remember having a love-hate relationship with my brothers when I was younger. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Where you would, like, you would fight with each other. You'd be upset with each other. You'd kind of be jealous of one another. But also, I'm the youngest, and so you know what? I also kind of wanted to, to be like them. Like, I fought with them, but, like, I kind of wanted to, to be like them. Like, like, my oldest brother, David, he listened to a band you've probably never heard of called Pearl Jam. You guys remember? My people. I knew I liked you, okay? He listened to Pearl Jam, so what did I listen to? I listened to Pearl Jam because David listened to Pearl Jam. Michael listened to the Beach Boys, so I was like, I guess I'm going to listen to the Beach Boys. Uh, David played guitar, so I learned to play guitar. Actually, the guitar I learned to play on was his old guitar, and then Michael played baseball, so I wanted to play baseball, because even though we fought, I kind of looked up to my brothers. I kind of wanted to be just like, just like my brothers. See, and that's, that's how it is with Jesus. You've been adopted into a brand new family, and you have a new older brother. You have a new example, and that example is Jesus. That's the one that we're, that's the one that we're trying to be like. That's the one that we're mimicking. That's the one that we're, that we're learning from. Now listen, I, um, I want to talk about something, because when I talk about being a part of the family of God, being adopted into the family of God, um, every, every family has its, like, issues. You guys know what I'm saying? Every family has their stuff. And it's possible that for some of you in the room that aren't Christian, the reason you're not a Christian is because of other Christians. You're like, I've met plenty of people that are Christians that show me their adoption papers, but they live a totally different lifestyle. They say one thing and they do another. So we call hypocrites, right? And maybe part of the reason that you're not a Christian is because you go, well, I've met Christians and I've been burned by Christians and I've seen too many self-righteous Christians treat me like dirt, so I don't want to be one of those. Or maybe, maybe you are a Christian and your heart breaks because of what you see Christians and specifically Christian leaders do. Because maybe you know of a leader personally 
who fell, who fell into sin. Some of you went to passion, not this past year, but maybe the year before that, and you heard Ravi Zacharias speak. And you were cut to the heart, and you go, this guy is incredible. What a man of God. And then he dies, and after he dies, there's all this reporting that comes out about how he was soliciting prostitutes and living a life contrary to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And for some of you that you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you go, that's why. Because even your leaders can't do it. Even your leaders don't look like Jesus and live like Jesus and act like Jesus. And maybe for you as a Christian, you're like, it's disheartening so much to the point where you go, well, can anyone do this? Like if Ravi can't, can I? Is there any hope for me? Listen, listen. Ravi is not my older brother. Jesus is. I don't follow the example of Ravi. I follow the example of Jesus. I'm not trying to look more like Ravi. I'm trying to look more like Jesus. I'm spending more time with Jesus so I can look like Jesus, not like Ravi. And listen, it's the same with Heather. It's the same with me. It's the same with any Christian leader. That our goal is not to be like someone that we see on a stage. Our goal is to be like our older brother, Jesus. That's what it means to be adopted into the family of God. In fact, that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is being adopted into the family of God, no longer living my old life on the street, but living in the kingdom of God with Jesus as my example, and I'm just trying to be like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is I want to I think like Jesus I want to live like Jesus. I want to act like Jesus. I want to like, I want to like smell like Jesus, you know, or I don't know if he smelled good. But it's like, it's like I want to be so close to Jesus that my friends look at me and go, man, you kind of remind me of what I read about when I read about Jesus. That's the goal of a Christian. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is, yes, the adoption papers are signed, and now I'm going home, and I'm no longer living my old life. I'm living a brand new life where I've got a new dad, where I've got the Holy Spirit, and where I've got Jesus as my older brother, and I'm following his example. That's what it means to be sanctified. So how do you do that? How do you look more like Jesus? Well, listen, it's the same way you look more and act more like anyone. It's by spending time with them. You're not going to look more like someone if you're not spending time with them. That's why Jesus, literally Jesus himself said this in John chapter 15. Jesus said, remain in me. In other words, spend time with me. Get close to me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what Jesus was saying. If you want to look like me, if you want to have the life that I have, you've got to spend time with me. You've got to remain in me. Now listen, Jesus used a, um, he used an example. He said branch and vine. And we don't, we're not really like, you know, growing like vineyards in our backyard. So that one may not translate as well to you. Uh, but here's a better one. How about, how about branch and like tree? How about branch and like apple tree specifically? Okay, so um, what Jesus is saying is the only way a branch is going to have an apple on the end of it is if it stays connected to the trunk of the tree. And as soon as you snap off that branch from the trunk of the tree, then guess what? You're not going to get an apple from that branch. It's just not going to happen. So for fun, I just brought this because um, I wasn't sure if you knew what a branch was. Uh, I'm just kidding. You all know what a branch is. Okay, so can this branch, I know this, this is such a dumb question, but just humor me. Can this branch produce fruit? No. What if, what if I stuck it in water? Could it bear fruit? No. What if I, like, look at it really hard and I go, come on, fruit? No. No, I would look pretty silly, right? There's nothing I can do to make this thing bear fruit. That's why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, I want you to remain in me. I want you to stay close to me. I want you to walk in step with me. Because when you walk in step with me, it's like this being connected to a tree, and then all of a sudden you've got growth. But trying to produce fruit without staying connected to Jesus is just not going to work. Now, 
Um, I know the analogy breaks down because you're like, I'm not an apple tree, and or Jesus is not an apple tree, and I'm not a branch. So what on earth are you talking about? It's not like we're trying to produce, you know, apples or oranges or anything. So Paul, a follower of Jesus, I think he actually leaned on this verse when he wrote Galatians 5.22. This is, this is what Paul said. Paul said, "For but the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, if you want to know what that fruit is that he's actually talking about, what does it mean to remain in Jesus? What does it mean to live a life with Jesus? Here's the fruit that comes out of that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is, this is what Paul was saying. If you stay close to Jesus, if you, like, leave your old life and you go home with Jesus, with God as your father, there will be something that starts naturally growing inside of you. And what naturally starts growing inside of you is love, joy, peace. Now, hold on. Because I remember reading that verse when I was a kid. We had to memorize it, too. Some of you have even memorized it, right? And it just feels so, like, bumper stickery. Free the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, God. Okay, pause. How much money do people spend to get peace where there is anxiety? Like, how, how, how much, how hard do people try to have some semblance of peace when they are riddled with anxiety? Or what about when depression hits? How much money will people pay? What lengths will people go through to have some sort of joy when depression reigns? How far will people go to feel loved, to feel known, to feel valued? Jesus said, when you do that apart from me, it's like staring at a branch and saying, come on, joy. Come on, you got it. Come on, peace. Come on, love, you can do it. Nothing's going to happen. But when you stay close to Jesus, something starts happening inside of you. And it doesn't happen quick. I don't know if you've seen fruit grow. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not like you look at the tree and then all of a sudden there's like apples on it the next day. That's not how it works. In fact, when the seed is planted, it takes a long time for it to even become a tree. And then when it becomes a tree, it takes a long time for fruit to grow. So it's going to take some time. But when you stay connected with Jesus, peace. Like real peace. Lasting joy. Patience. Kindness. Self-control, all the things that we wish we had. Jesus said, if you would just stay close to me, I've got it for you. I've got it for you. But listen, you can't have love, joy, and peace if you go back to living your old life. I think, I think for a lot of us, for a lot of Christians, it's like we, we, we hear about love, joy, and peace that Jesus offers. And it's like seeing the adoption paper signed and going like, that's a really good deal. Thanks for adopting me and your family. Jesus, I'm going to live my own life, but I'm expecting that peace any day now. So you let me know when the joy is coming, Jesus, because I'm going to live my own life and I'm going to do my own thing. But whenever you're ready, I'm going to get that joy. Meanwhile, there's a mansion over here with God the Father saying, would you just come home? Would you stop living your old life? Would you live a new life with me as your dad? Would you trust me that when you remain close to me, the joy that you want, I've got it for you. The peace that you need, I've got it for you. The love you wish you had, I've got it for you. So listen, a lot of times when we talk about sanctification, uh, a guy like me stands up on a stage like this and we start like listing things of like what does it mean to be sanctified, and it's a big old list of do's and don'ts, okay? And that's not what we're going to do tonight, because what, here's my hope for you, and I actually told this to some of the leaders beforehand. I said, here's the only thing I want. I just want this room full of college students to go, I just want to spend more time with Jesus. 
I just wish I could spend more time with Jesus because if I spent more time with Jesus, my life would be different. If I just went home to be with God, my father, then my life would be different. If I just trusted him more instead of trying to live my old life, my life would be different. So what does it look like? Like, like? like what are the priorities when you actually do that? When you actually spend time with Jesus. And so I, I've got, I think there's a lot of them, but I'm going to give you three. These are three priorities. This is not a list of here's what you do, here's what you don't do. Here are three priorities, what I think it means to be a part of the family of God and specifically for sanctification. The first one is family, which sounds redundant, but just bear with me. I think when you, when you start the journey or continue the journey of sanctification, what that means is you spend time with your family. So number one, that means you start spending more time with Jesus. For some of you, that might look like praying and reading scripture, waking up in the morning and listening to a worship song. You're just spending more time with Jesus. That's your family. But here's the other family. Right here. This is your family. So what does it look like to be sanctified? What does it look like to leave the old life and start living a new life? It means you spend time with your family. These are your brothers and sisters. That means C12 is not just like a show that you come to and then leave. That means this is a place you belong. That means this is a place where you know people and spend time with people. That means you jump into things like a small group. Okay? Now, I knew as soon as I said that, some of you would check out and go, here we go. Here we go. Join a small group. Another pastor telling me to join a small group. Hold on. Hold on. before, Because you can write me off, and that's fine. Can I just tell you something real quick? I'm in a small group. I'm in a small group. And by the way, my small group is not a bunch of staff members from 12 Stone. It's not. My small group is five other guys that are not staff on any church, but they're followers of Jesus. And I initiated the small group because I said, I can't do this by myself. I need people to walk alongside me. I want them to make me more like Jesus, and I'm going to try to make them more like Jesus. And so we're in this small group together because I need people. I don't get paid to be in a small group. No one is mandating that I'm in a small group. There's a lot of staff members that aren't in a small group. That's fine. But you know what? For me, I need a small group. I need to be with people. Here's the other thing. It's so funny. Um, Heather and I were talking on the phone, and, uh, and I was telling her, I was like, yeah, I'm in this small group, actually, and we're going through the, like, foundations book. And she goes, you're kidding me. And I go, no, why? She goes, that's what we're going through. Literally, it's, 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 it's the same thing that we're encouraging you to do is the same thing that I'm in right now. So if any of you, like, you know, think about the foundations material and goes, that sounds too basic, well, congratulations, you're more advanced than me, okay? And I'm a campus pastor. I need small groups. I need to be in a group with people because I need family. I need to spend time with Jesus, and I need to spend time with my, with my church family. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think that we um, prioritize is vulnerability. This one's fun. Can I be, can I be, um, like, just real with you for a second, maybe a little bit raw with you. Um, so you didn't say yes, but I'll go ahead. Um, I, think, I think sometimes Christians are just fake. And by the way, I'm, I'm in that category. I am a Christian, okay? Sometimes I'm fake. Sometimes we're just fake. No wonder that non-Christians look at Christians sometimes and go, they're just fake. You're right. I agree. Because here's what we do. We try, to, um, we try to make our lives look like really good. Even though we struggle. We don't want you to know that we struggle, though. Um, we want, well, we want you to know that we did struggle. Have you noticed that? Christians love talking about how they used to struggle. I, don't, I mean, I don't struggle anymore, but like I used to. You know what I mean? And then, but like we don't want to let people know that we actually struggle right now. So here's what we do. We have an issue. And by the way, I say we because I mean me, okay? So maybe it's not true for you, but it's true for me. We have an issue, and then we hide it off in the corner in the dark. Maybe we let God in a little bit, but we're not going to let anyone else in, you know, because this is my lust over here in the corner. I don't want anyone else to know that I struggle with it. This is my selfish ambition. I don't want anyone else to know about it. I, I, I lie. No one else knows that I lie, and I'm going to keep it that way. I'm going to keep it off in this corner. God's going to know, maybe, um, but no one else is going to know. And so we keep our sins kind of secret, hidden off in a corner, and here's what we hope. One day, God and I are going to figure it out. One day, God and I are going to solve it, and then I'm going to talk about how God solved it, right? And I'm going to stand up on a stage or maybe in a small group and say, I used to struggle with lust. I used to struggle with lying. I used to struggle with whatever, but then, like, I basically conquered it. So 
congrats to me. You know, it's like, that's what, that's the story Christians love to tell. We love to wait till the story is like nice and tidy with a nice neat bow on it that we can share and go, look, I don't struggle, but I used to, and I figured it out on my own. That's not what I mean by vulnerability. By the way, I don't think that shows any trust in God. I think that shows a bunch of trust in ourselves, that I can figure it out, that I can on my own, with my little branch, all by myself, conquer sin. But here's what it looks like to be vulnerable. It means you've got an issue, and before the story is done, you let people in on it because you go, I want you to know about the story before God fixes it. You want to know why? Because I'm putting pressure on God to fix it because I can't fix it. But I want you to know about it because once you know about it, you will see what God can do in my life. I trust him more than I trust me. So I'm shining a spotlight on the sin that's over here in the corner, and I'm not hiding anymore. That's what vulnerability is. Do you know how different things would be for Ravi? If the moment he was tempted with lust, he let someone in on it. That the moment he looked at something on his computer or on his phone and said, I'm struggling and I'm at the beginning of the journey, so I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm going to shine a spotlight on it. I'm going to invite a few friends in and say, I can't figure it out on my own. I'm putting all the pressure on God to fix it for me, but I want you to know about it so you can watch him fix this thing in my life. Do you know how different it would be? But do you know what he did instead? Gosh, this makes me so frustrated. He made sure no one had passwords on t- to his computer or to his phone. He actually joined a separate Wi-Fi network that no one else was connected to so that no one would know. You know what I did when I found that out? I called up two of my friends. I said, here's the password to my phone. Here's the password to my computer. By the way, my wife already has the password to my phone and to my computer and to literally every document. Like, like, like I printed out. I don't even charge this thing in my phone. I charge it in the living room, and I give her full permission. I say, hey, anytime, anytime you want to check this, check it. I will not be offended. I, if, in fact, I will be offended if you don't check it. I want you to check it. I want you to hold me accountable because I'm not going to go hiding anymore. She even, even, even my like Instagram account, I have it so that uh, when she's signed in on hers, she can click on it and immediately see mine. No secrets. Nothing hiding in the corner. I'm going to be vulnerable. Even with my small group. Guys, this is funny. I'm a campus pastor at the Buford campus. The five guys in my small group go to my campus, and I can't tell you the number of times we sit down for our small group and I say something like this. Uh, as your campus pastor, I probably shouldn't be telling you this. Um, you're going to think less of me when I tell you that. Um, I know this sounds weird coming from a pastor, but all the time. Because I'm not going to hide anymore. Because I got a new dad. And I got a new older brother. And I want to look like Jesus. And if I don't look like Jesus, I want that to change. I don't want to go back to this life. I don't want to hide in the dark anymore. I want people to know me. Maybe the best thing that can happen at C12, what if we were a bunch of people that freely confessed our sins to our closest friends? And we said, I'm struggling, and before the journey is done, I want you to know about it, because I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm not going to hide. In fact, you know, the password to my phone, you know, the password to my computer. You can have it, because I'm not good enough. But Jesus is. So I'm putting all the pressure on him, and before the story is done, you're going to know about it. So you can celebrate with me when God conquers it inside of me. Because I am not doing this on my own. I'm staying connected to Jesus. That's vulnerability. Okay, last thing is truth. We, um, have you noticed that truth is crazy right now? Like, like uh, or, or facts are crazy, truth is crazy. Like, um, if you turn on CNN, don't boo yet. If you turn on CNN, you get one set of facts and truth. And then you turn on Fox News and you get another set of facts and truth. And then you turn on, or, or you know, you go on like Instagram and, and you get another set of facts and truth. And you go on Twitter and you get like a million different versions of facts and truth. And there's like, like what on earth is even true anymore? I don't know. But I do know this. This is true. And when I got adopted into the family of God, I signed up for this to be true of my life. Because there's a way I used to live. There's a, there's, a, there's a framework that I had for what was true in my life when I lived in this cardboard box. But I don't live that way anymore. So now that I'm over here 
with God as my father, with Jesus as my older brother, with, my, with, the, with the Holy Spirit as my comforter. Now I subscribe to this truth, which means sometimes I'm going to read something in here that offends me. I'm going to read something in this book that says, um, don't live in cardboard boxes. And I'm going to go, but, but I lived in a cardboard box for a long time. Why can't I go live in a cardboard box? It's like, well, this is your new way of life. This is your new way of life. Some of you have heard Heather teach something from Scripture that directly goes against the life that you're living, and you're a follower of Jesus. By the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can tune this part out, and you can just laugh at us, okay? So, but, it, but, but if you're a follower of Jesus, there have been times where Heather has brought up something in Scripture that goes against your way of life, or should I say your old way of life, that you're still living, and you go, yeah, I don't want to do that. I mean, I'll, like, go to C12, and I'll, like, sing the songs, you know, I'll even, like, read Scripture or part of Scripture, you know. But I don't want to do that. That's too much. Purity? No. I don't, no. I Tell you what, God, I'll spend the weekends with you. Thank you for adopting me into your family. But on the weekdays, I'm going to go live in here. Is that cool? And that's what we do when we ignore the truth that God is trying to bring into our life. There's a, um, there's a quote by uh, a pastor named Tim Keller. Tim Keller is way smarter than I will ever be. He said this, if the Bible never challenges your assumptions, it's possible you aren't really hearing it. Listen, as a follower, of, I've been following Jesus for 23 years. 23 years later, he still challenges my assumptions. Can I tell you something? 23 years later, I still wake up and I want to go live in a cardboard box sometimes. And my father in heaven says, that's not who you are anymore. Listen, the adoption papers are signed. Come home. You don't need to live like you used to live. Come home. You have a new father. Come home. This, this not only challenges my assumptions about the way that I live, this challenges my assumptions about my identity. This tells me things about who I am. This tells me things about who God is. This tells me things about who you are. And it changes me. Let me give you one example, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. If, um, if we want to go ahead and bring the band out, we'll go ahead and, and wrap off with this one thought. You know, there's something that God says over you. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is, there is uh, identity that God speaks over you that you may not have known about. And I want to tell it to you real quick. So if you're wondering, like, well, what's an example of some of the truth that God might lead you into? I'll just give you one example. Um, I told you this earlier. Every night when I put my kids to bed, um, I tell them three things, the same three things every night. I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'm so glad you're my son. And I remember when Judah was, um, was, was learning how to talk, uh, <laughs> I would, uh, you know, um, he, he would repeat it back to me. So I'd say, I love you. And then he would say back to me, I love you, Daddy. I was like, aw. I said, I'm proud of you. He said, I'm proud of you, Daddy. It's like, well, you know, okay. <laughs> and then I would say, I'm so glad you're my son. And he would say back to me, I'm so glad you're my son. I'm like, well, that's not true. Um, that is, I was like, I got to correct that one. So I was like, actually, Judah, if you want to say it back to me, you can say, I'm so glad you're my dad. So, so now I say, I'm so glad you're my son. He says, I'm so glad you're my dad. Every night, every night. And uh, even before I came here, because I couldn't tuck him in tonight. So before I left, I gave Anchor a big hug. I said, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so glad you're my son. I said the same thing to Judah. Do you know why I tell them that? There's two reasons. Number one, I think every person, I used to think it was every guy, but I really think it's every person. I think every person longs to hear those three things from their father. I think so much of what gets broken when we're younger is we don't hear one of those three or maybe all three things from our dad. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so glad you're my son. So I resolved I'm never going to have a single day pass where they don't hear that from me. I love you. I'm proud of you. 
I'm so glad you're my son. That's one reason I tell them. Here's the other reason I tell them. Because that's what God says over me. That's what God says over me. That's what he says over you. See, when Jesus was baptized, I don't know if you've been baptized. Um, I, know, I know some of you have been your follower of Jesus, and so you were baptized. Um, your baptism was probably pretty awesome. I promise you it was not as good as Jesus's because it was incredible. When Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, and it says that, like, literally the heavens separated, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and then the voice of God the Father spoke audibly. Okay, so again, I'm sure your baptism was amazing, but you probably didn't hear Christy. You know what I mean? Like when you got baptized. But Jesus was baptized, came out of the water, and here's what God the Father said over him. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In other words, I'm so glad you're my son. I love you. I'm proud of you. And listen, when you got adopted into the family of God, you got all the rights and responsibilities of Jesus. So God says over you, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'm so glad you're my son. I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm so glad you're my daughter. I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm so glad you're my son. I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm so glad you're my daughter. And every night when you go to bed, it's not just the adoption papers that are signed. He's inviting you home so that he can tell you again, I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm so glad you're my son. I'm so glad you're my daughter. Y'all, the price has been paid. The adoption papers are signed. Come home. Come home. You don't need to live this way anymore. Come home. You got a new dad. Come home. You got a new life. Come home. So let me pray for us, Father. God, you're, um, you're such a good dad, and I don't know what I'd do without you. And God, I don't know uh, if there's someone in this room that just needs to hear that you love them, that you're proud of them, that you're so glad that they are your daughter or son, but would you just whisper that to them right now? There's others that have been, that have been living in the cardboard box, and today you're saying to them, would you come home? Would you, would you uh, follow my truth? God, there's some people tonight when they hear vulnerability, God, they know that they need to confess. Maybe even while this song is being sung, they need to pull aside their accountability partner or pull aside someone and say, I've been hiding this, and I'm not going to hide it anymore because I trust that God is good enough. I trust that he can see me through this. God, whatever you're leading them to do during this song, would you do it? Please, 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 Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to C12's podcast today. Next week, Heather will be back with us to continue our series on theology. If you are encouraged and guided by today's message, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about College at 12 Stone, give us a follow on Instagram at C12 Stone. Hope to have you join us next week.